This is episode number 107 with Ryan Holiday of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high-quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, and I'm coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. Hope you're all having a wonderful day uh, wherever you are around the world. Really pumped about today's guest. Uh, he's kind of like um, uh, one of my personal heroes, uh, this guy. His name's Ryan Holiday. Been following his work pretty much ever since I started Founder in 2013. And uh, yeah, we really connected on this um, episode. It was it was really cool. And uh, we talked to Ryan about all sorts of interesting things. He just uh, released this amazing book called The Ego is the Enemy. And, uh, you know, what I found was, was really awesome is with full transparency, guys, you know, sometimes, you know, I've struggled with this where it's easy to drink your own Kool-Aid. And um, we've been guilty with this at Founder. Um, you know, the brand has grown at a reasonably good pace and uh you know constantly people you know tell you that you're doing an awesome job and sometimes you start to believe that and you start to buy into your own hype and um that's when you make mistakes and that's something that I've personally found and I'm you know always have to try and keep myself in check and it's something that's really really important um for an entrepreneur I think as time goes on and you know once you start kicking some goals you know sometimes things can happen where you start to you know believe in your own hype and that's something that I want to be really really careful of and and me and Ryan had a really amazing discussion around this piece but not only that like Ryan is a serious uh marketing guru PR PR just weapon uh he he knows how to yield the media uh to his um you know <laughs> however he wants pretty much uh this guy's a marketing genius and uh, he's worked, he's, he's behind, you know, a lot of really, really successful marketing campaigns. He used to work for American Apparel. 
Um, he's 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 done all sorts of crazy stuff. He used to do Tim Ferriss's uh, some of his book launches. He has an, a really successful book marketing company. So we talk about all things marketing and PR. So if you guys are interested in PR, you guys are in for an absolute treat. Ryan does not hold back. And he's just a really, really great guy, and I had a, an awesome conversation. I hope that you can really draw a ton of gold from this one. I certainly did. So that's it from me, guys. Um, if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. Please do check out you know, some of our other fruits of our labor, like the magazine, or you know, just sign up to our newsletter. Check out the free Richard Branson issue. Check out Founders Club. Uh, we're working on a ton of cool things. We're working on a physical coffee table-style book which I'm really, really pumped about. Me and the, me and the team, we're, 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 we're going to work on something awesome. Um, so if you are enjoying these interviews, um, you're going to be reading the best of uh, soon. So if you want to know more, sign up at foundermag, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash book, B-O-O-K. Uh, I know you guys are going to love this one. But anyways, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Well, I guess that, that I would have to think about what job you're referring to. As a, as a writer, the, the cool part is no one gives you that job. You just sort of take it. Um, I, st- I started, I was in a research assistant for a writer named Robert Greene, which is how I learned how to write. I started a blog, which no one gave me permission to do. I just started doing. And o- over time, I built up an audience, and that gave me... Uh, the opportunity will eventually get a book deal. And then, and then I'm now on my, I guess my fourth or fifth book as a, as a marketer, I, my first real marketing job was for American apparel where I went on to become the director of marketing. And there I I got a job from the, the owner of the company. So I've definitely not played by the rules in terms of getting what I've gotten. I'll say that. Mm. So you're fairly young. How, How old are you, Ryan? I just turned 29. Oh, geez. Same age as me, bro. Oh, awesome. Nice. Congrats. <laughs> good age. Thanks. Yeah, it is good. Uh, we're trying to get so much done before we hit 30, hey? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, well, look, um, it's safe to say I think you've done a lot more than me, uh, but let's let's talk about that. Um, so I know you didn't, uh, f- you didn't finish college. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I actually I dropped out to work for, for Robert Greene. I was sort of looking at it like, hey, this is the kind of thing I would have been ecstatic to get if I was graduating tomorrow. So why am I going to stay in school for that? So so I look, one of the secrets, I think, to doing things young is to sort of pushing up the timeline. So, you know, instead of getting my first real job when I was 22 or you know 23 the way that a lot of my friends did some of them even waited longer because the job market was so terrible in in 2008 2009 but i started when i was 20 or 19 even so so i i just sort of i started early and that's given me a head start certainly mm. so um you know you you strike me as someone you've written uh quite a few books uh trust me i'm lying that was a killer book growth hack marketing you. Obstacle is the way, and now your new book, Ego is the Enemy. Uh, so you strike me as someone that is obsessed with learning, and uh, I can only, I cannot even begin to imani- uh, imagine how many books that you have read. But I really just want to delve a little deeper. Like, where does that, you know, insatiable hunger that you have for learning come from that we see in your books right now? Uh, 
have you always had this as a kid growing up? Um, you know, what was life like growing up for you? I think I always really liked learning. I mean, I was obsessed with reading as a kid, although mostly what I read were like Westerns and James Bond novels and stuff like that. So I wasn't exactly learning, but I, I loved reading and I loved getting lost in books, which I think is its own, you know, sort of form of entertainment and learning. But one of the big weird things for me that that sort of made me so into learning is when I left college, I was very honest with myself about what I was giving up, right? Like I'm giving up having to go to a class every day and having a really smart person care whether you learn something or not, which would be the professor and the TAs and all that sort of stuff. So in leaving college, I sort of had to told myself like, okay, if you're going to do this, then your education is now your responsibility. Like you're going to have to learn and keep learning to make up for the fact that you're not going to have the same base of knowledge as everyone else. So I sort of think about it that way. And then Look, I've just found, and I'm sure you agree, I found that the more that I go out and learn stuff on my own, the more opportunities that creates for me and the the better I am at my job. So I don't I don't see like, oh, learning is this hunger that I have and it's fun, although it is, I see it as like, hey, the more books I read, the more money I make and the more interesting people I meet and the more opportunities magically come my way. Mm, I see. So there was no, did you have some pivotal moment where everything changed for you, where you were just a, like, like really into strategy, learning, reading, it's kind of just kind of developed over time? It's definitely developed over time, but I do remember I, I, I was with the girlfriend that I was with in high school and we ended up going to the same college together and she dumped me maybe the end of my, so, end of my freshman year. And I remember I had this Amazon wish list of like books that I had always wanted to read mm. um, that I'd sort of put off reading, but I never had the time for. And I remember, you know, one day you know, I was probably just in my room crying or something. And I just said like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to read all the books that I've been meaning to read. And I bought, you know, like a huge stack of them. And I just one by one went through them. And then when I was done, I read more. So, so it was sort of like, I've been putting this thing off and I got really serious about it when I was sort of at a, at a moment of personal crisis. Mm, I see. So, um, your first kind of, um, apprenticeship or where you started learning, cause you, you know, I know you've worked with Tim Ferriss, you helped, uh, with the four hour work week with that book launch. Uh, you helped, uh, Tucker Max. You also helped and worked with Robert Green as a research assistant. I think you've helped with a lot of PR and, and marketing strategy yeah. too, right? Yep. And, uh, now you've got your own book marketing agency. Uh, you worked with a ton of impressive, really, really impressive clients. Uh, you know your strategies are you know uh, wrote about or used as case studies by like Google, Twitter, all these other big companies. So where does where does all this strategy where where do you get your marketing chops from, man? That's a good that's a good question. I don't think I was born with them. Obviously, mm. um, you know, working working for someone like Robert, who's I think one of the greatest strategic living minds was obviously a huge part of it. You know, you just sort of learn by osmosis around him. And then I, I you know, I learned a lot from Tucker, who's a, a, who's a great marketing mind, even at American Apparel, although I was doing the marketing dove as a sort of a natural born genius marketer. So I, I was always around really smart people who, who were instructing me and teaching me and they were paying me to learn essentially, right? They were saying like, you know, you have a natural aptitude for this, but like here, go do this. Or have you thought about this? 
So, so I learned a lot that way, but a, a huge part of it was just what I learned on the job is sort of being, you know, working for internet authors who didn't have really any, they didn't have huge budgets, but they also didn't have anything to lose, right? They were willing to try and experiment, gave me a chance to, to do things that maybe I couldn't have done if I was working for a fortune 500 bank as a marketing intern or something like that. Mm, I see. So were you responsible for a lot of like the cool kind of stuff that uh, American Apparel have done? Uh, do you still work with them or not anymore? I don't. I don't work with them anymore. But I, I was. I was the director of marketing for like six plus years. So I was involved in a in a ton of the really cool campaigns. It's what's so cool about a company like American Apparel is that it's vertically integrated. So it does all of its own marketing, advertising, PR, design, all of that. It, it had there was a great team of people and they were all involved but it was it was what was cool about that company is like there was almost nothing that we couldn't at least try and so we did a lot of interesting experiments some of them worked some of them blew up in our faces and you know it was all over the news and we got in a lot of trouble about it but you know we could try just about anything because it wasn't like farmed out to some agency who did it all for us gotcha so it was all in house so Actually, let's talk about um, some of these campaigns that you've been behind the scenes kind of architecting, strategizing, because I think people would really find that interesting and they can get a real grasp of your marketing shops. Yeah. Can you just tell us like, so, you know, maybe two or three of your favorite yeah. and coolest, like, you know, I don't know if you call them growth hacking PR campaigns or, or whatever, but um, you've done heaps, man. So yeah, that makes sense. Like you've got a lot of experience now. I'll, I'll tell you one that I really like for American Apparel because I think if if you ask someone what the the what an American Apparel advertising campaign was, or you know you ask them to choose one, they'd probably pick one of like a young model, a really attractive model who's not wearing very many clothes, and they might mm. say like, "Oh, that's easy to do because like sex sells." Mm. Um, probably the single most effective earned PR campaign that American Apparel ever did was um, one of the creative directors. Uh, she lived in Manhattan. Her name is Marsha Brady. She's walking down the street and she saw this older woman who who was just, she. I think the word she used, she said she was regal. She was just like a beautifully dressed, like this older woman with just an incredible amount of poise. And the creative director, she walked up to her and she said, you know, I work for American Apparel. I'd love to to use you as a model. Can I take some photos with you? And of course, this model knew who American Apparel was and she just laughed, right? She thought it was hilarious. Like, you're not going to use a, a, a woman in her 60s as an American Apparel model. You've got to be kidding me. But they ended up collaborating. She took a bunch of photos and, and the creative director, she showed me these and she said, you know, obviously we can't use these, uh, but don't you think they're cool? And I said, why Why can't we use them? What, what, if, we, what if we ran, like, you know, we're not going to put this on the, the back cover of Vogue, but what if we just ran them online? And what if we picked just a few small websites that we could run them on, like really fashion-centric websites, and then hopefully media would pick up on the ad campaign and it would get a lot of attention. It could be more of a statement than an ad, than a, a sort of a real ad campaign. So uh, we bought $1,000 worth of advertising on a site called Advanced Style that we found. And this site is actually, it still exists, but the site is, it's a it's a fashion blog of older people, like really coolly dressed elderly people. It's like this great idea. 
So we run the ad there. I take a screenshot of the ad and I send it. I think I sent it to a reporter at fashionista.com, which is a, a, a news site that covers the fashion industry. And from that, so a one set of photos, uh, a $1,000 ad buy and a screenshot, this ad campaign ends up being seen by millions and millions of people. The model is, I believe, on Good Morning America. She's all over every news channel. She becomes like a legitimate celebrity. She's been used by other brands now. Millions wow. of online impressions. It's, it's like one of the iconic American apparel advertising campaigns. And it all comes from, you know, a chance encounter on the street, a small ad buy, and then sort of knowing what is going to be newsworthy and generate attention. Mm. So, you know, where do most people go wrong when they're trying to generate PR? Um, a lot of people work with agencies. I personally never have. In fact, I've never had much luck with PR, like mainstream, never really done much. It's all yeah. been orchestrated by us. Like, where do most people go wrong? I think one, they go wrong, they think that someone can just magically do this for them. So they hire someone, and they spend a lot of money, like sometimes ten dollars or $15,000 a month for six months or a year, and they get nothing. And it's because they really, other than money, they put nothing in. But I think that the main reason that most people don't get PR is because they're boring. And if you think about it, it's like, it's not as if reporters are sitting around going, there's so much interesting stuff to talk about. I can't squeeze it all in. In fact, most reporters are bored, dying for really interesting news. They're dying to talk about and break stories and 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 talk about trends and, and fascinating events. So if you can do that, if you can make news with your company, with what you do, you get a lot of it, you, you'll get a lot of attention and you'll get it for free. You know, American Apparel got to a point where we had more attention than we even wanted because of ad campaigns like the one I was just telling you about. Mm. Sometimes we would put an image on our website and then a reporter would write about it and they'd say, American Apparel's new ad campaign is controversial for the following reasons. And it's like, no, no, that's just like a random photo on our website. That's not an ad campaign. Like, so, so we actually created this monster that was almost bigger than we wanted or needed it to be. But that's what, when you are provocative and you don't necessarily play by the rules and you're willing to take risks, that you can have the opposite problem, which is too much publicity. It's when you're conservative and boring that, you know, you get nothing. Mm. So I got a question. I'm going to ask um, the PR master an idea, and I don't know where okay. this is going to go, um, just for just for a project that we're working on. And um, I'd love to hear your insights, and I'm sure the audience would love to hear as well. So uh, one thing that we're working on is a coffee table style book, self-published, beautiful imagery. And it's just going to be just a collection of the best of the best interviews that we've done from all the front covers of the magazines, like interviews with like Richard Branson, Ariana Huffington, many like, you know, iconic kind of well-known, you know, very, very influential entrepreneurs in the startup or, you know, or the online space. Um, sure. We're going to do a Kickstarter campaign and haven't worked out the logistics yet around costing and all those kinds of things, but we want, we want to go out with a bang. Where would you start with a thought process or from from a strategic standpoint where we could generate a ton of press for this physical coffee table style book? It's, an, it's a good question. I, I don't necessarily know uh, if if this lends itself, uh, from how I'm hearing, if 
hearing it, if this lends itself to getting a ton of press, I'll give you a couple of reasons. One, yeah. you know, if this was 2011 and Kickstarter was this sort of new platform, in some ways, anything that anyone did on Kickstarter was newsworthy. That's mm -hmm. not the case. If it was the first book on Kickstarter, it might get a lot of attention. If it was a book about something that doesn't happen very often, like you were doing a coffee table book of female founders, or you were doing a coffee table book of, you know, uh, Asian American founders or different, you know, mm. something different, I think that might lend itself more to some media angles. When, I, when I'm hearing it now, I'm hearing it's a coffee table book about entrepreneurship of interviews of well-known people, but they're, they're all from your site. And so what makes this hard is that it, it's not sort of extreme in any one category that would necessarily lend itself well to the media going, I have to cover that right now. Now, does that mean that you can't drive a ton of attention to it? Of course not. I'm just wondering if press is the best way to do it. For instance, let's say every one of the founders who you interview tweets about this project, or let's say you are donating the proceeds to charity and the charity is driving attention to it, or you do some sort of affiliate deal. There's a number of things I think you can do that can drive a ton of attention to the, to the actual Kickstarter page and therefore drive a lot of contributions. But I would wonder, like, what do you think is exciting about this that is worth the media covering? And maybe we can dig into that. Mm. Yeah, that's the part that I'm not sure. I just think it'd be a cool, fun project for us. I do too. I, yeah, and I know that it's more more than anything, it's just the craft. Like, you know, our, our magazine's digital. All of our content is digital. We've never done anything print, physical. I know the design sure. will be amazing. I know we'll be able to fund it because we have quite a big platform right. uh, and a, quite a sizable audience. But, yeah, like I always see these Kickstarters, man, and, and it seems like, you know, everyone is, says it's all about the press. And I was just wondering, you know, how how would we position it or how could we make it like strike some controversy? Like I know that I thought it was brilliant what you guys did with Tim Ferriss's book, how um, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was maybe the four-hour book body where you guys put it on um uh, like you may you put it on the torrent site was that was that the one yeah yeah that yeah. was for our chef yeah, yeah we yeah. put it on BitTorrent. Yeah, yeah yeah so like do we need to come up with something crazy like that or like i don't know man but yeah, yeah you're man. right i know i know what you're saying like it isn't that exciting it isn't that interesting it'll be a cool body of work i think but and you know i think you know we'll be able to fund it from the size of our platform but no, I don't know if, if it's that exciting to media outlets. We could put it on Product Hunt, you know. Mm -hmm. It might be interesting. Well, the, I mean, yeah. the, the, the funny thing about the Tim Ferriss BitTorrent thing is he did get some media attention from it, but BitTorrent was where all the traffic came from. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so sometimes I think people are confused. Like when you hear people say like it's all about the press for Kickstarter or whatever, it kind of is, but really it's about how much traffic you can drive to, to something. The the, yeah, yeah the, the, the media is more about social proof oftentimes, um, unless it's like some incredibly viral you know, imagery or ads. I, I don't think that it's like this is like boring and, and there's no opportunities. I just try to think, okay, what's – I try to put myself in the shoes of a reporter um, who, who gets pitched all day and I try to go – 
what would get them excited here? What would get me excited if I were them? And I think you're close. You're just not totally there yet. Mm, okay. Interesting. Well, let's switch gears and uh, let's talk about your latest book, Ego is the Enemy. I think it, it, it's an interesting concept because I find myself, the more and more our company grows, Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, when, when you get emails or every single day, when people are telling you how great you are and, and what you're doing is so awesome and you're crushing it, how, how can you not like, you know, it's very, you have to fend off drinking your own Kool-Aid, man. Um, so, totally. You know. Uh, yeah. There's this, yeah. there's this show billions in the U S and I, I love this line. I quote it all the time. Um, he's like this hedge fund manager and he, he makes this really bad trade, even though everyone was telling him that he shouldn't do it. And he's, and she, you know, he's talking to the therapist and she asks him why. And he says, you know, when people tell you you're Superman long enough, you start to think you can fly. And I think that's one of the dangers of being successful is that all of a sudden the people who are in your life change, right? Mm. A good portion of the people that you or I might interact with are people that work for us, right? Or people that want something from you. And that changes the kind of information that you get that changes the way people interact with you. And it, it can make you almost live kind of in a fake reality. And it's really important that you resist that. So what I'm talking about is, is how one sort of counteracts that impulse to start to think that you're better than other people, that you're special, that the world revolves around you. Because although it might be natural to feel that way, the reality is we don't do good work when we're sort of high on ourselves. When we think that we're amazing, that's precisely when, we, when we'll start working on something and stop listening to other people and, and, and make something that isn't as good as it could be or that people don't actually want or that has some sort of fatal flaw that we could have improved or fixed or caught in time, but we didn't because our, our ears were closed. So how did how did the basis of this book come about? Because man, you are like you you are producing a lot of content these days. Like um, it seemed like only not that long ago you created Obstacle is the way. Um, so yeah, let, let's tell tell us about how this concept came about. Yeah, it was about about two years between the books. I sort of for the reasons you were just talking about. I like to have my next book in the works, sort of before I finish the. The, the one that I'm working on, oh, because wow. I don't want, I don't, if it fails, I don't want to be discouraged. And if it succeeds wildly, I don't want to be distracted. I want to have like my next thing. And, and so I had a lot, I had plenty of time to work on this book. Again, I had a little over two years, but the idea was sort of, sort of what, what you're talking about, which is as you become successful, as you pursue, you know, achievements and success, you can feel this ego inside you, this sort of arrogance coming up. And I wanted to write a book that instead of encouraging that, the way that I think so many TED Talks and, and articles and videos are out there sort of like rah-rah, like you're amazing, you're worth it, go do this, like you're the best, you know, take it, you know, all that sort of stuff. I wanted to write a book that sort of encourages people to to maybe take a step back and to think and to question and, and to, to practice humility. Cause I think really great, truthful, honest work comes from a place of vulnerability and humility, not arrogance and certainty. Mm. So 
you know, what's, you know, you've, you've achieved so much, um, at the age of 29, what do you do to keep yourself in check? How do you tame your ego? Um, you, can you ever conquer it? Is that possible? I don't, I don't know if egolessness is like accomplishable. I don't even know if that's like necessarily, you know, what I'm shooting for, but what I think I am trying to do is make, make sure that whatever I've done doesn't go to my head. So like, mm. cause, cause you don't know, like you don't know if the success that you're achieving right now is the most success you're ever going to have, or if it's just a taste of what's to come. Right. So there's really, um, there's really no reason to, to, to change. Cause you don't know it could, it, there's this quote from Marcus Aurelius that I like, he says, you know, you have to learn to accept it without arrogance and let it go with indifference. And what I think he means is like the good stuff you have to accept and, and, and celebrate without ever thinking that it, it makes you better than other people. And then when that changes or it shifts, like if you, you know, if, if all of a sudden your company stops doing as well, or, you know, there's some financial crisis or there's a problem that, that you, you sort of, that that washes right off your back too. So mm-hmm. that that's how I try to think about it. And and I guess one of the ways that I do it is by studying philosophy, you know, reading from from great men and women from history who have accomplished far more than I'm ever going to. And and I like to learn from the lessons that they've sort of said to themselves. I like to to, you know, their reminders to to, hey, like you know, you have to treat people well and Hey, you know, you don't know how long this is going to last. And, and Hey, like you got to move on and focus on the next project. Now. I I like those little reminders. Those have been very helpful to me. Mm. And, um, what other practical pieces of advice would you have to people that are starting to see some success and it might be going to their head, but they don't even know it. And that, I think that's the most dangerous thing. It's like a fog, right? Like you might be there, totally don't even know yeah, you don't you don't even know because the ego makes you think like you're making all the right decisions. Mm. So I, I think one of the things you do is you have to you have to be able to stop and pause and examine your own behavior, right? If you're just reacting, reacting, reacting all the time, right? Like you get a nasty email, you're like, boom, how am I gonna respond? Right. Or like, you know, an employee doesn't it isn't working well. You're like, boom, I got to fire him. Or, you know, some opportunity comes by. You're like, boom, I got to decide right now. What am I going to do? If you're if you're sort of reacting all the time, you're not able to ever go. You know what? Is that the right thing to do here? Is this what I want to do? So so one of the things I've tried to incorporate into my life is just like a bit more reflection and just like not just sleeping on decisions, but like, hey, I'm going to take the weekend to think about this. And, and I remember I was, I was feeling rushed about some decision uh, recently. It was like an investment. And I was talking about it with one of my, one of my business partners. And, and the, the guy that was trying to get us to invest was like, look, you got to decide by like end of today. And he just come to us with it. He's like, you got to decide by the end of today or, or not. And I, I went to my partner. I was like, we have to, we have to choose or we're going to miss out on this, you know? And, 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 and he basically said like, if they're rushing you and they say you only have a day to decide, that's a good reason not to do it. That means it's probably not a good opportunity. It like 
good opportunities aren't rushed like that. And they, they aren't urgent. Like, like this person is making them out to be and like, don't let the fear of missing out and, or that, that you might seem like an idiot for passing on something that turned out to be good. He was saying like, don't let that make you make a mistake or, or rush when you don't actually need to be. And I'm really glad that I didn't, I didn't say yes because something better came along like a couple of days later that didn't require me to make a split second decision. Mm, I see. So from what I'm hearing, uh, a big part of taming that ego, because when you are, you know, making decisions from an, like an ego, like an ego driven decision, that's when you tend to make mistakes. So one of the ways to, I guess, stay more grounded is to spend more time reflection and on reflection and, and thinking about things. And that's something that I think is definitely underrated. Everyone's all about yeah. the hustle. Everyone's all about getting uh-huh. things done as fast as possible. But um, I think it's really important just to just to reflect and take time to think about decisions often. Yeah, I, re- I remember with my first book, I felt like if, and I remember even telling the publisher about this and I feel so embarrassed now. I was like, if this doesn't come out like right now, it's like not even worth doing like this. I was like, this is so like, this is so on trend. And this is, I've so nailed this. Like, you know, this is me in my egotistical, like adult state. It's like, this has to come out. And if it doesn't, like, what are we even doing here? You know? And they were like, you know, they probably just like, they were probably just like, laughing at me when I wasn't there, you know, and, and, and it ended up coming out and it it took like, I think nine months from like when I wrote the, when I, when I finished the book till it was like released, um, which is like, felt like an eternity, but is actually like really fast in publishing time. But anyways, you know, the book is still selling and it's been out for like four years. And so I feel like such an idiot. And, and there's so many problems in the book that I wish I could fix, you know? So, so I was totally wrong. Like I felt like it, because this book was important to me, I felt like it was the center of the universe and that if I didn't hurry, like everyone was going to move on. But in reality, like no one was paying attention and nobody cared. And if I'd taken my time, it would have been a better book. And if I'd been less self-absorbed and, and if I'd been less sort of bullish, I could have listened to the people around me that were trying to tell me exactly what is now incredibly obvious to me four years later, which is like, you don't rush things, you take your time. It's always better. Mm. Yeah, I think um, one thing that I've found helps with decision making often is if it's a decent sized decision, I don't... I know like execution is fast. You have to be always following your gut and, you know, trust that and you want to be able to move fast. But at the same time, I think it's always good to bounce ideas around with other people so yeah. you get, you know, a, a different perspective. Um, and that helps as well because I think if the ego is involved and always at play, you don't you don't need to ask anyone their opinion because you already know the answer. Yeah, you, know. you know what I mean? Yeah. To- totally. Although one thing I found that – like sometimes like, let's say there's some like conflict going on, right? Like, you know, I, it's, it, you're negotiating with someone or someone like a client is like upset or, you know, someone's sort of misbehaving or whatever. I found that like, if you're in this sort of ego state, you're like, you're pouncing on it and you're, you're trying to get other people involved and you're calling and you're gossiping and you're thinking and you're practicing mm. what you're going to say and you're all addled up about it. Whereas like if you're not in an ego state, you're like, all right, I don't like this. I'm going to put it aside for a minute. I'm going to go back to what's important. 
And then I'm going to come back to this when I'm calmer and I can see it more clearly. So I think, I think you're totally right. It's like you want to, you always want to be getting other opinions and you want to be judging things calmly and, and openly, but you also want to make sure that you're not just riling yourself and other people up because like this thing that fell in your lap is the most exciting thing to you right in that moment. At least, at least that's something I've had to work on personally. Mm, yeah, no, I think um, that's something I personally need to get much better at um, because I'm very reactive still. But yeah. Um, so also before we move on, we have to work towards wrapping up. But I was going to say, when it comes to the book, uh, you've you've drawn on a lot of uh, very famous, uh, you know, olden day super successful people. One thing that you said you found is is a lot of these people they had to conquer their ego. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. So I, I talked about George Marshall, who was a, a World War II general and, and, and then the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense for the United States. Um, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. The Marshall Plan in Europe was named after him. He's the ambassador to China as well. Someone was talking to his wife and they were talking about how like that he, he basically had no ego. They said, like, you know, your husband, he has no ego. He's so much better than everyone else. This, he's, they were basically making him out to be this sort of godlike figure who didn't have any of the urges that the rest of us humans do. And she was saying, like, no, that's not true at all. He had an ego. He had flaws. He just worked to overcome them harder than other people. And I think that that's I like that because it's saying that, like, you know, these other people aren't supermen. They've just made it a priority because they understand that, hey, when I'm running around like an egotistical jerk, I'm not as good as I could be. Like Kanye West is like this brilliant, amazing musician. Mm. But like how much better would he be and how much further could his career have gone if he wasn't getting into these like pointless battles <laughs> all the time and he wasn't pissing people off all the time who could be his fans. But do you think that that – like I've always wondered with Kanye – is that like a PR stunt, like where he gets on Twitter and he asks, you know, Mark Zuckerberg for a billion dollars in investment or, you know, is that just PR yeah. to keep himself relevant? Well, I think to a certain degree it has the effect of PR. It can, it can sometimes make someone controversial and provocative and, and raise their brand. Like Donald Trump clearly is more famous as a result of his inability to like not open his mouth. But <laughs> – I, I find it having worked for people like that in the past, I tend to find that it's like I, I would watch stuff happen at American Apparel and then people go like, oh, that what a brilliant PR move. Like you guys did it again. And it was like actually a complete accident or like I was begging them not to do that because it would have been a huge mistake. And they like did it anyway because they thought I was wrong. Do you know what I mean? So uh you tend to find that controversial people, they have a knack for getting attention, but also like they can't turn it off and they often cause a lot of problems for themselves even when they're not meaning to. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So you think you know it's not so much strategy for for Kanye, it just is who he is. I think some of it is clearly strategy, but I think, you know, when he gets up there and he interrupts Taylor Swift on stage the first time, I think it it's 
that's not he he wasn't he didn't know how that was gonna go it was like he just didn't think Mm. and he can't not it's like he's like i have an opinion you have to know my opinion it you know whereas like an uh, someone who is just doing a marketing stunt probably wouldn't have, you know, attacked America's sweetheart and expected it to go well. Mm, got it. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. Uh, I could talk yeah. to you all day, man. Um, but I think one thing that people would really find interesting is one thing we I notice that we get a lot is, you know, constantly a lot of people ask um you know right to right to right to uh people in our team and founder in, in general is is uh, people want to know like how do you find a mentor and yeah um you've done very you know you you've got uh, an incredible uh suite of mentors or you know unquote unquote I doubt you even call them mentors but people that you can draw upon whenever you need you know help or if you're stuck on a decision or need to bounce an idea around I just, I'm just curious, you know, what advice do you give around that piece? Because, um, yeah, you've got an incredible network of people that, um, you can always learn from. Well, thank you. And I I feel very grateful to, to have been sort of taught by the people who taught me. I will say like most of those relationships are not official in the way that I think people who want a mentor think that they are right. Mm -hmm. Like, in no cases has I ever gone up to someone and said, like, will you be my mentor? Right? Yeah, it's just a and taking thing, you know? Yeah, and I don't think they ever said that. I don't even know if they would have identified as a mentor. It's just that I learned a lot from them. Like, look, some of the people that I have mentored me, they've never even met me. Or some of them are dead, right? And I just learned from their books. So it's it's not so much an official thing. Although there's this quote from Sheryl Sandberg, and I've used it in a couple of articles. Basically, she's saying is people think it's like if you want to do well, you will, you should find a mentor. When it's it's actually if you do well, mentors will find you. It's when you start to be showing momentum and progress that successful people seek you out and they want you to work for them, or they want to ask you a question or they, they want to point you in the right direction because they see something in you. So you, you want to make sure that you don't think that it's this like altruistic exchange. Mm-hmm. In reality, it's like if you have your act together and you show potential and you're a hard worker who who is going places, finding mentors is not going to be your problem. It's going to be like deciding which one and which opportunities to take is the hard part. So like... When I get emails from people and they're like, oh, can you be my mentor? It's like, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. And I wish that I could, but I can't. Or even other times people go like, I don't want anything from you. I just want to work for you and I'll work for you for free. That's very nice. But what I tell them, what what I wish they would understand is like, I don't just like have a bunch of tasks sitting around that I'm not doing because no one has offered to do them for free for me. You know what I mean? And I think you're probably the same way. You don't just like have a bucket of, of like unpleasant things that you're just like hoping someone will take care of. It's like if someone came to you and, and they said, Hey, Nathan, like I'm really good at SEO. And I noticed that like, um, your site is not doing these things right. Or you haven't tried these things. I'd like to offer to help you do them you might be like, sure, I'll give you a chance. Or if someone's like, hey, you know, I'm an expert about this, or hey, I had this crazy idea. That's how I started working for Tucker Max, is that I had this idea for something, 
that he could do on his site advertising wise. And he said, sure, give it a shot. Like, I don't care. It was all upside for him. What I didn't say is like, will you hold my hand and teach me everything? You know, it doesn't work like that. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's so true. And I think, um, you know, just on that intern piece, or I want to work for free, like it actually, it's, it's more of a cost in time than anything. Yeah. That, that people don't want to spend time. They would rather, you know, they ha- happily spend money. If you wanted to hire someone, you just hire them and you'd rather hire someone experienced and just pay them as opposed to just someone working for free to do stuff that you have to teach. Yeah. It's like if I could pay someone and they're going to do it once and it's going to be good, I'd rather do that than have to teach you how to do it and then you do it for free. So, so it's like, if I am going to teach you, I want to know that you're, it's that I, I think you're going places and that this is the best thing for you to start with. So it's that, that's why it's so important that you go out there and you make something or you create something, or you have a resume that shows like, Hey, I'm not just some random guy waiting for my chance. I've gone out there and I've, I've done it. And now I'm looking to take it to the next level. Mm. Yeah, no, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. All right. Look, um, I have a, a two more questions for you, Ryan. One, okay. um, where, where is like, where do you see your career as, as a marketer, an entrepreneur, uh, a writer, author, uh, going like, you know, I'm sure you feel you're just scratching the surface. And then, uh, lastly, where's the best place people can find you and, um, you know, find out more about ego as the enemy, your latest book. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I've, I've tried to, one of the dangerous things, and this is uh, related to ego is that as you become successful, you've just accomplished the thing you set out to do instead of like appreciating that you're like, what's the next thing? Like I got to beat this all the time. And that's like exhausting. So I really like writing. So I'm, I, I want to do that. Like I want to do more of this. And so I see my career as having been really fast at the beginning and now I'm going into a period where I really have to put in a lot of time and energy to improve and grow and, and that it's not going to be as, as fast from here, but I'm settling in for the long haul. So that's how I see my career as, as a writer and a marketer. And, and I think I'm, I'm really happy about that. It took a lot, some soul searching and some thinking to get there, but I'm excited about that. And then if anyone you know likes my books, they can find them all on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And my website is ryanholiday.net. And I think I'm at Ryan Holiday on pretty much every platform. Awesome. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, my man. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Glad we could finally connect. Yeah. And, um, we can wrap there. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You guys do amazing stuff. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.